it on now? It's on now. Good morning. Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, beginning with verse 13 and going to 23. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is to deposit uh, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus, and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that God, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance, in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe the power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his holy word. How's everybody today? Good. Let me just get some stuff out of here. Crash, bang, smash them up. Okay, I brought a bunch of things with me today, and I want to know if you know what they are and what they do and all that good stuff, okay? So the first thing I have here is this little thing. Anybody know what these are? A CD. Is it useful the way it is right now? No, why not? Well, I could use it as a reflector, but is it used for what it's supposed to be right now? Why not? It's not broken. It needs something to play it on. Right, okay. How about, I'm not sure, goes this way. A remote, right? Is it okay to use it the way it is? Will it work? It has, it has batteries in it. It has batteries, but it needs the TV, right? So it's, it's not broken. It just doesn't have what it needs. All right. How about this? Flashlight. Oh, it doesn't work. Oh, no batteries. It's not broken. It just doesn't have what it needs. How about this? Anybody know what this is? It's a beater. It goes to a mixer. Is it useful the way it is? 
Not really. I mean, you could. You could do this. You could do this. But it works a whole lot better if it has the rest of the mixer, right? None of these things are broken. They're all perfectly usable, but they all need something else to help them do their job. Just like us. We're all in need of something to help us do our job better. And that thing is this. Now, this isn't going to make the flashlight work, or the remote work, or the CD work, or the mixer work. But it is going to make us work. This is God's love letter to us. And it's also like an instruction manual to help us know what to do and how to do it. This mixer came with an instruction manual. It told me where to put this in the machine, because there are two of them. And one goes in one side and one goes in the other side so that they turn properly. The CD, you have to know which way to put the CD in and how to work the machine. So this is our instruction manual. It's called the Bible, B-I-B-L-E, Basic Instructions Before Leaving Earth. Okay, so this is our instruction manual. It's going to help us know what we need to do to be useful, to be functional, to do the best job that we can be, do, to do what we're created to do. And God's going to help us if we read the instruction manual. And he's also promised to give us the spirit. That's kind of like putting the battery in the flashlight. Gives us the energy, the, the spark that we need to be able to take all of this and make it work. So we have the Bible. We have the Holy Spirit. We're not broken. We just need the extra things to make us useful. We need to read and understand the scriptures, and we need the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that you have given us your word. You've given us your spirit. You have created us to be wonderful creations, to do great things for you. Help us to stay connected to you, to read your word and study it, and to feel your spirit moving in our lives. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord, it is sweet to trust you and also sometimes hard to trust you. I pray that you will help us to trust you more um, and to see your trustworthiness in our lives. Um, I pray for your help with this passage that we're looking at today, that you will glorify your name and that we will hear from you together and be changed. In your name, amen. Sometimes, as you know, I will quote something from Twitter. Twitter is, if for no other reason, Twitter is great for sermon illustrations. So this, I think, pastor on Twitter the other day, I don't know this guy, I've never interacted with him before, but some people were interacting with this tweet, and so it, I saw it, um, says... We do not need supernatural experiences, the voice of God from heaven, a still small voice, promptings, impressions, or nudges from the Holy Spirit. We have something better than all of that. We have more sure the written word of God. Scripture is sufficient. Okay. Feedback. 
Okay, Bernice says, you need the Holy Spirit through those scriptures. Anyone have anything? Yeah, the word is the foundation, but I mean, we've talked about this in the last couple of weeks. This was really timely. This He tweeted this on September 1st, and we had just been going through our question series and talking about how scripture is inspired by God, but the understanding of scripture also has to be inspired by God. And, the, and obeying God through what's in scripture has to be inspired by God. And guess what? That all comes from the Holy Spirit. If all you have is the written word of God, and, and I said this a couple weeks ago, all we have is a book. The reason that Hebrews chapter 4 or 6, I forget which one, um, says that all that scripture is or yeah scripture is living and active is because the spirit has to activate it otherwise we can make scripture say whatever we want it to say we can defend any kind of nonsense that we want with scripture because we're pretty good at defending what we want <laughs> and so you have this giant book anywhere you can make it say what you want it to say it is the Holy Spirit that helps us understand over time, not all at once, but helps us understand what God is really trying to communicate to us. But what this man said is an idea that you can find in many churches across at least this country um, that we don't need the Holy Spirit, all we need is the Bible. That's frankly crazy. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. Let's get this in our minds. The Holy Spirit inspired the Bible. The Bible is not the third person of the Trinity. Okay, so last week we looked at this giant run-on sentence by the Apostle Paul, and today I included a little bit of the tail end of that again um, that says, where Paul says, you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So if the Bible is sufficient, and the Bible says when we believe, we receive the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit is the deposit guaranteeing our redemption, then we really need the Holy Spirit. <laughs> okay. Anyone can read the Bible, but we can only understand what God is trying to say through the Bible with the Holy Spirit's help, because the Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is part of God. And then... When the Holy Spirit helps us understand what the words are saying, the Holy Spirit can also help us interpret the world around us and how we're supposed to live with it in accordance with those words. The presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives is key to what it means to be a Christian. It's also key to what it means to understand Ephesians because this chapter and the next couple or pieces of the next few 
um, are all about what God has done in what salvation in Christ really means. And the Holy Spirit has a huge part in this. And after that, Paul gives some instructions. We can only understand the instructions if we understand that the Holy Spirit in us is the one who empowers us to obey those instructions. We're not on our own. So like Barb said, we absolutely need our Bibles because that's the starting point. The Bible is sufficient in the sense that we don't need any other piece of information to tell us what we need to know to live a godly life. But if that's all we have and we are not interacting with the Holy Spirit around it, we're, it's not going to do us a whole lot of good. So if the Holy Spirit is key to what it means to be a Christian, how do we get that spirit? It's actually in this passage that we read right at the beginning. Yes, God gives it when we, actually when, Paul says when we believe, we are, um, when you believed, you are marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit shows up as soon as we put our trust in Jesus Christ. When we believe, we are signed, sealed, delivered, we're his. Now, anytime you hear that Stevie Wonder song, I want you to think, here I am, Jesus. <laughs> signed, sealed, delivered, I'm yours. Okay. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> for this reason, Paul says, I have not stopped giving thanks to you. What reason? The faith in Jesus, which Paul knows his readers, or in our case, his hearers, have, and their love for the rest of God's people in Jesus. The fact that the recipients of this letter to the Ephesians have faith in Jesus and love for God's people means that they have the Holy Spirit. And Paul is really happy about this. He gives thanks for this. Because if we have the Holy Spirit, we have access to, what he said last week, all the spiritual riches in the heavenly places. This makes Paul super thankful. He's thankful for the Ephesians and other Christians because of what God is doing in and through them by his spirit, and because of the rich and fulfilling lives that they have access to, that we have access to. Let's be clear again. This rich and fulfilling life that Paul is talking about is more than health and wealth, which is a really good thing because I'm standing up here with a cold. Um, so it means we have a life that has meaning, that has purpose, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter what you do, what your job is. As a follower of Jesus, with the Holy Spirit, everything matters. Everything is part of the kingdom. Everything is um, part of this rich and fruitful and fulfilling life. And so Paul is so thankful, he just can't stop praying for these people. Let's get curious about this for a second. What does an apostle who met the risen Christ in person on a road trip and had his life pretty much instantly transformed, what does that guy pray for a community of other Jesus followers who maybe haven't encountered Jesus quite so dramatically? They've already encountered Jesus. He's not going to pray, please knock all of them off their horses too. Probably not all of them have horses. So um, what is he going to pray? Well, what he's going to pray is what follows. 
In verse 16, he says, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. In verse 17, he says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Okay, wait a second. <laughs> Didn't Paul just say they already have the spirit and now he's asking God to give them the spirit? I'm gonna, we're gonna sidetrack a tiny bit here because if you haven't encountered this before, you might, especially those of you who are younger than me. Um, you might encounter this when I was in my 20s. So you know, I grew up in a Baptist church and um, my dad was the pastor and my parents are very godly people and they even were back then, even though they were a little less mature, much as I was. Um, and so Baptist churches, typically at least white Baptist churches, aren't so much into the demonstrative, charismatic type of um, worship and practice and even theology and sometimes, and I think this is partly where maybe the pastor that I quoted this morning, where, where his concern comes from. Um, a lot of people that are raised in Baptist churches are aware of charismatic churches where things go really badly. The gifts of the spirit are manipulated or they're actually not, they're fake. Um, and some kind of spiritual abuse can happen around that. And we're not aware as aware of the times where it really is the Holy Spirit working in a very surprising and um, sometimes strange, but really wonderful, miraculous way. And so um, when I finished college and paid off my loans working as a nanny, I was going to go to London and work as a missionary with some churches. And I was all, I was accepted to go on this program and I was ready to go and I was getting some training started and I was signing up for um, the four months of training at the mission organization where I was going to go. And all of a sudden I found out that the churches in London where they were going to place me were charismatic churches. <gasps> oh no, this will explain some things about me to you. <laughs> um, and that was actually really, um, it was really good for me, but it was honestly kind of terrifying um, at first. And the churches and I had to figure out some things, had to learn some things together about the Holy Spirit when I got there because most of the American missionaries who went to work with these churches did not start out in charismatic churches. But in my case, um, I had never spoken in tongues, and this was, at the time, those churches thought, if you can't speak in tongues, you don't have the Holy Spirit. And therefore, you're probably not saved. There's also this idea that you could be saved, but then you get the Holy Spirit later. And so there were all of these questions and confusions around this, and... The reason I'm bringing this up is because you probably will, at some point in your faith, encounter this. In, if you ever visit another church, you might have a little bit of this. And, and I want us to understand that when we are saved, we have the Holy Spirit, but we still have to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. There are still things to learn about the Holy Spirit. Our faith goes through stages, and the way the Holy Spirit works in our lives 
may be different at some times than at other times. I still don't speak in tongues, but I have had some miraculous things happen to me, and I know that the Holy Spirit is in my life. Um, there are, an, an extreme is never the right answer to an extreme. So if you have a church that doesn't believe that the Holy Spirit can do anything at all, or like this guy, that you don't need supernatural experiences, the voice of God from heaven, a still small voice, promptings, impressions, or nudges from the Holy Spirit. If you don't need any of that, if, if there's a church that says we don't need any of that, that is an extreme that is unbiblical. If you have a church that is all about that, and it's all about the experience, and you never have those experiences, so then you must not have the Holy Spirit, that is an extreme that is also unbiblical. Both ends are idolatry. One is idolatry of experience, and one is idolatry of intellect. Neither of those two things are biblical. So just keep that in mind. This is really important. Because the Holy Spirit is important, and we need him, and so we need to be aware of this stuff. This passage that we're looking at today shows us that we both receive the Holy Spirit when we believe, and we need to keep praying for the Holy Spirit to work in our own lives and in each other's lives. We want the Holy Spirit to have more say in who we are and what we do. The Holy Spirit connects with our spirits. God does not possess us in the way that an evil spirit would. If an evil spirit comes in, you don't really have a whole lot of choice. It's going to make you do things. The Holy Spirit wants to come in here and merge with our spirits so that we ourselves change. We, of our own free will, start to do the will of God and are empowered to do the will of God. But our wills are not taken over. Our wills are transformed to good. So, the Holy Spirit is there when we believe, and God works on us through process. And this is the only way we're going to look like Jesus. So what does Paul say in this passage is the point of the Spirit giving us wisdom and revelation? Because Paul says, I pray that the Holy Spirit gives us wisdom and revelation. What's the point? Yes, so that we may know God better. The point of everything, God's whole will, really, is relationship. God wants us to be in a relationship with him. God wants us to know him. He wants us to know him better and better and better. That is going to help these relationships. The better we know God, the closer our relationship to him, the better our relationship with each other. Paul has described the Holy Spirit as a seal and as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. This is probably like a Roman adoption analogy. We talked about that a little bit last week, how sonship could apply to women in the church as well because it was a Roman legal term for adoption. And this deposit guaranteeing our inheritance is probably more of that analogy. Let's make up another one. You know I like science fiction, so we're going to go there. Have you ever heard um, stories, real-life stories, of people who receive organ transplants and then they start to take on some of the personality and other characteristics of the person whose organ it was? That's so weird, right? Um, so imagine if when a person got adopted, they didn't just have paperwork saying they were the son or daughter of their new parents, but what if they could get a DNA transfusion. 
you can't do that. There's no such thing as a DNA transfusion, but just imagine. We could say that in the family of God, the Holy Spirit joining to our spirits, the one who guarantees our inheritance is like a spiritual DNA transfusion. And the more the DNA merges with ours and changes it, um, the more we start to take on the family resemblance. So we could try to act like the family in our own strengths. We could say we're going to be biblical and we're just going to read the Bible and we don't need whatever this guy says. We don't need a still small voice and all that stuff. Um, we just need the Bible and we're going to see what it says and we're going to obey it. But biblical without the Holy Spirit isn't really a thing. It can't be biblical without the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is all through the Bible and inspired the Bible. If you just try to obey in your own strength, that's not transformation. That is behavior modification. And you might be good at modifying your behavior. Some people are really good at that. Others of us are struggle with that a little bit more. Um, but it's not transformation. The Holy Spirit isn't only a seal on some spiritual legal documents. The Spirit is the power of God in our lives, helping us think and act and speak more like Jesus himself, in part by helping us to know our Heavenly Father better. Because, you, you know, you also start to change when, you, when you're in a relationship with somebody, whether it's a friendship or a marriage or anything like that, you start to take on that person's characteristics a little bit, some of their mannerisms or maybe their phrases or whatever. The more we get to know God our Father, the more we're going to pick up some of those traits. And as we get to know God better, we will start to know ourselves better. This is important. I think a lot of times in Christianity, we are told, you know, it's all, it's all about God, and it is. We don't want to be prideful, and we don't. But it's important that we know who we are in Jesus Christ so that we can do the things that he wants us to do because he doesn't take us over. He changes us. And so it's really good to know who he's changing us into. So Paul says in verse 18, three things, and they're all kind of one thing, which is interesting because the Trinity is like that too. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know, one, the hope to which he has called you, two, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and three, his incomparably great power for us who believe. We are, when we come to Jesus and we say, okay, Jesus, I trust you, I'm giving my life over to you, and the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, we are becoming new creations of hope. Here's something I hear a lot here in this church, but also in other Christian contexts. Um, a lot of us admitting that we still mess up, we're still sinners, I'm a sinner saved by grace. All of this is true, sort of. <laughs> There's a theological term, which I don't remember what the fancy term is, but this idea that is sometimes called, as Christians, we have the now and the not yet. So there are things about the kingdom of God and about our status in the kingdom of God that are true right now, and there's a fulfillment that is still coming, that is not yet. And 
we are in the now and the not yet, and this is what happens with this new creation situation that we find ourselves in. We don't want to be prideful. I already said that. We do not want to take glory from God. Paul is all about that. He's in the first, in last week's passage, he said to the praise of God's glory like three or four times. So God's glory is really important. Our glory, not so much. But Paul is super excited for the Ephesians and for us to get to know the Father because when we do, we will gradually discover in a very unself-centered way that we ourselves are something new. And so we don't, it's true, we don't want to forget what God has done for us in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And part of remembering that is remembering that we have sinned and that in this life, we're going to keep on wrestling with sin. But another part of remembering what God has done for us through Jesus is remembering that we are not who we once were. We are not. Sinner is not our core identity anymore. Jesus took that away. So even though we still may wrestle with sin in the here and now, it's not who we are anymore. It's who we were before the Holy Spirit got hold of us. I sometimes wonder, especially lately, if part of the reason the church in the West is in the trouble that it's in is that somehow the majority of us have, mess, have missed what God's grace really is and that the Spirit is the delivery method of God's grace. So yes, grace, the grace of God is the forgiveness of our sins and the opportunity to be with God in the next life. But it is more than that. Remember how we talked a few months ago, God's grace is prodigal. It is extravagant. And so it is more than just, okay, I'll forgive your sins, and you can get in, and then you can just do your own thing, and I'm going to still sit over here in my throne room. That's not it. It is grace to become who God made us to be in the first place. And I'm starting to wonder if that's what predestination means. Some of you were like annoyed with me because last week the word predestination was in our passage and I didn't really touch it. But what Paul said in that passage was, we are chosen or predestined to be holy and blameless. Not predestined to be saved from our sins. Not, this isn't about who gets saved and who doesn't. Maybe in some other passages it is, but not here. It is about... God created us to be somebodies. And when we are saved, we are predestined. That's that thing that we were created to be. That's our, our destiny. And we are able to become that because we have the Holy Spirit. And so we're all here saying we're sinners saved by grace and still trying our hardest to obey God in our own strength. Or we're realizing we can't. And so we don't try at all. This is what happens when the Bible is sufficient over the Holy Spirit. God's grace is so lavish, it's not wallpaper over a giant hole of sin in our lives. It actually makes us whole. It makes us so we can truly become holy and blameless, not in our own strength, but by the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives. So we can extend to ourselves and we must extend to each other grace when we do sin, because that's what Jesus did. But let's not use the fact that we keep making mistakes as a way to cop out on Jesus when he has given us his Holy Spirit, who is living in here, just waiting to make us become like him. 
We are new creations of hope, now and not yet. We hope for the fulfillment of the not yet to become now. That would be great. Anytime, Lord. <laughs> but in the meantime, the Holy Spirit wants to transform us and transform the world through us now. The hope to which he has called us is just that, that God will eventually make all things new and reconcile all things. But the hope is also that he's already doing it. The riches of God's glorious inheritance in his holy people, this is a really interesting phrase, we are God's inheritance and he is our inheritance. Paul wants the Holy Spirit to show us the hope to which God has called us so that we can better, so we can know God better and realize in this family, in the family of God, the secrets are really mysteries and they are glorious and they're meant to be shared. And the pressure on us to not embarrass the family, we're not on our own because this family, first of all, isn't embarrassing and we have someone to help us take on the family resemblance. We are glorious to God. He loves us to be his inheritance. He is proud of us. And as we know him better, we will see that he is the best inheritance we will ever receive. We will learn to delight in him. We will find out God's really awesome. We sing this, but God's great. He's great to be around. He is delightful. And then the third thing, God's incomparably great power for us to believe. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says about this. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. The power that is available to us is the same as the power that raised Jesus from the dead and seated Jesus at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. We don't have to have the power to make God happy. The Holy Spirit living in our spirits will start to change our spiritual DNA every time we let go and let God. Most of us have some kind of sin that maybe doesn't really feel like a big deal, and so we haven't totally turned it over to God. I'm going to be honest, I have maybe one or two. Um, and so every time I try to stop those things, break those habits on my own, it doesn't work. Because I haven't actually said, you know what, I'm ready to cooperate with you, Holy Spirit, now on this. <laughs> um, this is me being honest, and now that I'm saying this in front of you all, that's accountability. I'm going to have to I have to start talking to God about this. Um, but he wants to help us do that. And when I give it over to him, and I know this because I've had this experience before, when I really give it to him and say, okay, I'm done with this, but I can't quit this myself. I need your help. He will help. Because his power to raise Jesus from the dead and forgive my sins and your sins and the whole world's sins and put Jesus on the throne at the right hand of the Father is definitely powerful enough to help me break a bad habit. Right? And it's also powerful enough to help break into even bigger sins and more challenging sins and more and sins that damage more people. 
God's power is great, and we have access to that power by the Holy Spirit. It is like power, no power we've seen. It doesn't take, it gives. It isn't threatened by the chaos of the world because Jesus is supreme and loves the world and can make all things right. God's power is so much more than the power to be in control of our own lives or in control of other people's lives, which is what most of us want before the Holy Spirit transforms us. It's way more than the power to make sure we get parking spaces or lots of money or even, or even save the life of someone very ill, although sometimes God does allow us to access his power in that way on someone else's behalf or on our own behalf. It's more than that. It is the power to love like God loves, to bring spiritual life to the people around us. The power through the transforming work of the Holy Spirit to be the church together, to be Jesus' family, not embarrassing him or grieving him, but representing him so fully that what Paul says at the end really comes visibly true in the world. This is the idea. The Holy Spirit in our lives wants to make it obvious through our lives that this is true, that God placed all things under Jesus' authority and appointed him to be head over everything in the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. May that come true on earth as it is in the heavens. Heavenly Father, we really do uh, want more of your spirit in our lives. Sometimes we need to want to want that. <laughs> um, so for those of us that need that, Lord, I pray that you'll help us to be willing to be willing to be changed. Um, and Lord, Please do, through this congregation and through us as individuals, make it known that Jesus loves the world and Jesus has all authority over the world. And may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In his name. Amen.